Oh, there we go. Okay. I don't think I've ever heard my voice this loud. This is fun. Um, Well, hello, everyone. Hi. (laughs) My name's Sarah, if I haven't... (laughs) Thanks. That's my core. They're wonderful. Um, And I'm an intern here with CCF. And I get the privilege of sharing with you all today. So I'm very excited, also a little nervous, but I trust that you all have grace for me as I'm preaching my first sermon. It's crazy. So, yeah, I'm going to pray real quick before we start. So please join me. Dear Jesus, thank you so much that you care for us, that you're always with us, and that you are able to guide us through your spirit. And so I just pray that you would guide my words tonight and that you would help us all focus our thoughts on things that you would like us to dwell on. Amen. Cool. So exciting to see you all here. Okay, so if you've been with us this quarter, you know that we're doing a sermon series called In the Beginning, in which we're looking at Genesis 1 and 2 and asking these questions. First, what is God like? And second, what are people like? Today we're going to be talking about people, well, also God, because we do that here, Um, and specifically why God created us the way he did, what role he created us for. So please turn with me to Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Oh, if you do the next slide, it'll hopefully be better. There we go. Cool. So starting with verse 26. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So, we've talked about this passage before this quarter. We know that it tells us that we are made in God's image. And that this distinction changes how we relate to both God and creation. We're not just this cosmic craft project, but we're also called children of God. We're part of creation, but God asks us to be co-rule—asks oh, us to be co-rulers over creation, over God's earth. God loves this little ball of dirt and magma floating through space. He calls it good, and he calls each and every animal and plant he creates good, and then trusts us to take care of it. So, congratulations, everyone. God has given you the sacred duty of caring for his creation. Yay! (laughs) Wonderful. I mean, that's a big deal. God trusted us with that. So, not only that, there's something about being God's children, about being made in his image, that uniquely equips us for this leadership role. 
Though we are made of the same stuff as the earth, as antelopes and centipedes, God gives us something that they don't have, his image, the ability to be like him. Though we are not God, we are somehow able to be like him and to relate with him. This is the first role that God calls us to, to be like him as we rule over the rest of creation. If you're like me, you may have asked the question, what does God want me to do with my life? What is he calling me to, if you prefer some Christianese thrown in there? Well, here in Genesis, we see the very first calling God placed on your life, on humankind's lives. We see that this calling was to be like God as we tend the earth. We see that God created man and woman in his image for the role of reigning over his creations. The NIV translation specifically says, created in God's image so that they may rule over creation. That is, over the animals in this specific verse. So I want us to make this observation that intrinsically tied to our identity as God's children is our identity as stewards elected by God to serve the world around us. And as we consider our relationship to the earth and its creatures, we must make this observation about the Genesis 1 text, that our authority to rule over the earth is fundamentally linked to the parts of us that reveal who God is to the world around us. I'm going to say that again so we can reflect on it. Our authority to rule over the earth, over its creatures, is fundamentally linked, that is, it flows out of the parts of us that reveal who God is to the world around us. God gives us the command to rule over creation, not as independent individuals or even nations, but as an outflowing of his own rule and influence over our lives. Apart from God, we can't do anything. And this includes our role as stewards, as caretakers, that is, over creation. So, we cannot simply rule or reign as we see fit. We must ask God, how would you have me rule? How would you, Jesus, have me reveal who you are by how I treat the earth? Now, our world tells us that to reign, to rule, or to have dominion over, as some translations put it, means to dominate unjustly, to exploit for selfish gain, to hurt and even kill. We've heard of plenty of kings throughout history who've used their kingship to commit crimes against humanity. We hear about these kings in the news today. But what picture of kingship, of rule, of reign, does Jesus give us? Colossians 1:15 through 20 explains that through Christ all things were made and are now held together. What does Jesus, the true king of the universe, tell us about what it means to rule? I want us to look at Luke 22:24 through 27 to answer this. This is a really ironic passage because Jesus has just explained the bread and the wine of communion that we now still take today. And it's this beautiful illustration of his sacrificial death on behalf of everyone, of 
you and me and all of humanity. And yet, his followers just don't get it. In their minds, on their worldview, kings come to conquer and pillage, not to die. They don't realize that Jesus is a different sort of king than they're used to. Starting with verse 24. Then the apostles began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, In this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people. Yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be like the servant. Who is more important? The one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course. But not here. For I'm among you as one who serves. So we see, looking at Jesus, looking at this example, that in God's kingdom, to rule over means to value, to cherish, to take responsibility for, to serve. God has created you in his image so that you might better care for what he has created. Genesis 2 also speaks of our relationship to creation as mutually beneficial, a symbiotic relationship for all you Huxley majors out there. So Genesis 2.15 reads, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. If we look at the Hebrew for to work and to take care, these words can also be translated tend and care or protect and serve. So, let's take note of this. God thinks creation is worth protecting. In fact, he thinks it's worth your time and effort. We should note that God gives this duty to man and woman before sin and death enter the scene. In a perfect world, we are still called to this sacred responsibility and relationship to, over the land to watch over it and its creatures. This is supposed to be a blessing, not a burden. And yet because so often we see this as a burden, um, at least sometimes I can view it as a burden, I don't know about you guys, but um, I want us to consider three reasons that God cares a whole awful lot about his creation, specifically the natural world. I want us to take this opportunity to just align our hearts with God's on this issue. So I thought of three reasons why God cares about creation and why we should too and be willing to serve it. First reason, creation is good. It is so good. Hopefully you've read Genesis 1 by now and you know that God says this about everything that he creates. There's something intrinsically good and beautiful about things in this world. Everything from the majestic mossy trees in the Arboretum, which is my favorite, um, to the really cute bunnies that lots of you like to post online. Um, <laughs> there's something fundamentally inherently good and beautiful about the things we see around us, about the mountains, about Bellingham Bay, 
We can see God in the Bellingham Bay sunsets. And isn't that great? Something about those things reveals to us who God is and what sort of God he is. A really great book, one of my favorites, it's called The Abolition of Man by C.S. Lewis, explains this concept of um, what does it mean for something to be intrinsically beautiful versus something we just call beautiful. Um, It's really good. I recommend it. Second reason why God cares a lot about creation. We need it to survive. And God cares about people, therefore he should care about us getting the things we need to survive. We need clean air, clean water, fertile soil for food. Everything we own, everything we consume, comes from the earth. If we look at the Hebrew word that's often translated as dominion or to rule over, we find that it comes from a word that means higher on the root of a plant. That is to say that we cannot just cut creation out from under us without suffering serious consequences. We are very much dependent upon it. If we were to neglect and cut it out from under us and try to live independently from it, we would essentially wither and die, just like a plant whose root has been severed. Third reason God cares. Creation tells us about God. And moreover, it tells people who have never held a Bible in their hands about who God is and that God is there. Psalm 19, 1 through 4, says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Romans 1, 19 through 20 also shows that creation is a line of communication between God and his people, between God and the people he hopes to save. He's, um, in, this, in this verse, Paul, the author of this letter, is speaking about those who sin and says, What may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Creation is a way that God communicates with us. Knowing this, we must ask ourselves, who are we to cut the line of contact between God and the people he hopes to save? We have to ask, will creation be a witness of God's majestic power for your children's children? Or, if you're not really thinking about children yet, which I'm guessing most of you aren't, Maybe think about one of your sisters or brothers or friends who has a child and think about their children's children, about their great-granddaughters and grand... Sons? Yeah, sons. Um, will, will Will they see God in creation? Or will they see a world that has been destroyed, used up, desecrated because of our failure to steward it to our best ability?
On another note, do you realize, okay, the example I'm about to use, I'm sure none of you would ever do this, so just, it's just hypothetical, but do you realize that when you toss a plastic bottle into the trash, maybe make some joke about tree huggers or those Western people who are really into the environment, that you might bring shame and dishonor on your God and his message. I'm not saying this to guilt trip you. I'm saying this because this is serious. I want us to consider how God died for every single one of those people. And who are we to make walls and barriers in between someone who may be interested in checking Jesus out, but thinks that Jesus people don't care about the things that they care about? So, there's lots of stereotypes about Christians. We don't need to add any other ones. <laughs> Please, consider this. Consider that people watch you. People see how you treat the earth, even in a very small, everyday ways. So in summary, we see that our role as caretakers over creation is not only God-given, but vital to the physical and spiritual health of all people, including people who haven't even been born yet. We see the creation care, or being green, isn't just a Western or a Northwest hippie thing. It is the living out of God's purpose in creating us to be stewards, to be caretakers, to extend his good rule over earth. When we neglect this sacred duty, we compromise part of our very identity, as well as our witness to the world, and ultimately, we show a tragic lack of love and concern for those who have and will be affected by abuse of God's majestic but delicate creation. We see this role threatened on many sides. If you're here and you are a Christian, you, well, you probably know this, I hope, <laughs> that we believe not just in the world we see around us, but in a spiritual reality that there are forces of good and evil in this world, and that there is an enemy of our faith, Satan, who wants us to believe lies, who wants us to think that this isn't a spiritual issue, that this is just something that our culture is preoccupied with for a moment, and that caring for creation really isn't that important. It's more important to do things that are spiritual, like read our Bibles a lot. Well, keeping in mind that this is a spiritual issue, I want us to consider three threats that we can join with God in fighting against and praying against. First threat to our role as stewards. Bad theology. How many of you have heard the words, it's all going to burn anyway, so it doesn't matter how I treat the earth? Anyone? Yeah. Okay, I've heard this. It is a thing, less so around here, but in other places I hear. Um, so this, this statement comes from the assumption 
that Jesus is going to come back so, and take us to heaven. So, and earth is just like a temporary, like a hotel. So we don't actually need to make sure that it's taken care of. Again, I want, I'm saying this in summary. I realize that some of you might actually have said this statement before, and so I don't want to make light of your convictions. Um, but that's the summary of what is meant by these words. And I see two problems with this statement. First off, Jesus never told us when he's coming back. He specifically says that no one knows when he's coming to restore the earth. And to presume that we know is to call Jesus a liar, which we don't want to do. The thing is, most people who embrace this theology, I'm guessing they probably still have retirement accounts, and they might not have sold all their possessions yet. Some of them maybe, but others no. Um, So there's a bit of a disconnect in different areas. Um, On one hand, we might live as though Jesus is coming back tomorrow with regard to our wastefulness, but not so much with regard to planning for the future and our financial security. So, though scripture tells us to eagerly anticipate and be ready for Jesus' return at any moment, It doesn't give us a guarantee that Jesus will come to bail us out as soon as we lose access to clean water or run out of room to put our trash. Every every Friday night after CCF, we have several cores stay behind and clean up out of respect to our school janitors. This is just a way of showing them that we care and that we don't want them to have to do extra work because we tend to leave things behind, whether purposefully or accidentally. And so I have a question. Are we treating Jesus any better than we treat our school custodians? Will Jesus return to the earth to find us, his stewards, faithfully tending to his creation or waiting for him to bail us out because we didn't do our job? Second problem with the it's all going to burn theology. Do we actually know what the Bible says about Jesus' return? It's actually really exciting, so I'd encourage you all to look it up in the Bible. Specifically, Revelation 21 is something worth studying. Um, It gives us a picture of God coming to earth to dwell with his people. We must remember that we serve a God who restores who, rather than trashing us, stepped into the scene, and even though it was a lot messier and time-consuming, decided to restore us, to recycle us, you might say, to redeem, to reborn, birth us. So many re-words. So, we see that God's nature is to be a redemptive God, to restore So look into it. Second threat, lack of knowledge. This lack of knowledge often leads to the problem of apathy. Like any job, stewardship takes time and effort to learn how to do well. When we don't know much about how our lifestyles affect the environment, it's easy to become apathetic. But when we know, however 
that young children and unborn babies are most tragically affected by toxic substances in our air and water, it becomes a lot easier to care and a lot easier to change. Third threat, our selfishness, what we might call our sinful nature. The fact is, in most scenarios, we would rather serve ourselves than serve people or the planet. It's just easier. In Genesis, we see Adam and Eve eat from the one tree that God told them not to eat from. They had so many other trees. And yet they chose to eat from that one. In the same way, we so often buy into the enemy's promise that absolute freedom will satisfy us. That when we are free to consume as much and whatever we want, we will be happy. There's another more sneaky form of selfishness, which I'll call entitlement, in which we think, well, humans, which this is true, we are the pinnacle of God's creation. We are the masterpiece, and it's great. But when we start to think that the world was created only for us, we get into some messy territory. Because if we look back at Colossians 1.16, we see that the Bible tells us that all things were made for Christ. We must be careful to remember that though God gave us access to the world's resources, he told Adam and Eve that they could eat the fruit of the trees. This is also God's world. It was created for him, by him, not just for us. Though, again, he does give us good gifts, and that's great, So many good things in creation to be enjoyed. We must keep our king, our King Jesus, in mind as we consider how best to use or even not use his creation. We are to enjoy this creation with thankfulness and the humility to realize that we aren't the only generation who will need to use its resources. Again, unless Jesus comes back tomorrow, you know, small, small footnote. Um... So, on all that, after all that, in summary, I want to give you all a challenge. comes from one of my favorite books growing up. I have it right here. It's called The Lorax by Dr. Seuss. I really loved this book. And now I have my own copy, so I'm just so happy about it. Um, so, This is basically a book about environmentalism, but sneakily formed into a children's book. Um, And it tells the story of the Onceler, who, out of his zeal to create the next best product, actually ended up trashing an entire ecosystem, destroying it, making it so that all of the animals had to flee because they no no longer had any habitats to live in. And so after all this, he ends up actually regretting it a whole lot. Um, And he tells his story to a little boy. He ends it with this statement. Unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. And so, CCF, you 
the up-and-coming generation of the American church, do you care? Do you care a whole awful lot? Because unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. Unless someone like you cares a lot, then the American church is going to continue being known for trailing behind the environmental movement and the willingness to serve God's earth rather than being forerunners in this movement because we so deeply care for the earth and the God who made it. Because we so respect our God that we want to take good care of his stuff. You each will have your own, and you actually have right now, your own sphere of influence. And you will have this throughout your life. So we must ask Jesus to help us. Help me use this sphere of influence to change the world, to be the steward you want me to be. We have this hope that God is able to transform us, regardless of whether we consider ourselves someone who is very much not into this whole environmental thing or who is always called a tree hugger by their friends. Wherever we're coming from, God is willing to shape us and to give us the power and the resources we need to be the stewards he created us to be, to be the stewards he calls us to be. I have a few websites for you. And I'm going to challenge you all to just spend like 30 minutes checking them out this weekend. If I had had to like tell you all about all the ways to actually tangibly save the earth, then it would have taken me like, a week, and I wouldn't have talked about the Bible at all, so um, just check out these websites. Um, Blessed Earth is a foundation founded by Dr. Matthew Sleeth and his family. Um, He used to be the director of an ER at a really fancy hospital, and then God called him to go around and spread the word about how God's people should care for his creation. And there's lots of really great resources on this website, Um, ways that you can just shift your lifestyle a bit to better care for God's earth. Um, And also a lot of, like, theological resources to explore what the Bible says about the earth. He has a really great book called Serve God, Save the Planet that I just started reading. Very good stuff. Another resource for you all is the Evangelical Environmental Network. Yes, that does exist. CreationCare.org is their website. And this is an organization for those of you who maybe come from families who are very politically conservative, um, who care a lot about, say, the pro-life movement, but maybe aren't so much into the environmental thing, don't really see how that connects to their faith. And so you can spread this message to them, in part by checking out this website and seeing how they connect the pro-life movement and the movement to care for unborn infants to the creation care movement and seeing just how those two are connected. And I just want us to shift our attitude a bit and see how these things, like looking up information about how to be better stewards on these websites, is actually 
a service to God. It's not just plain old research. It's something you could do as part of your devotional time. These websites have creation care-themed devotionals you can use. And by devotional, I mean the thing you do whenever you spend time with Jesus, if you do that. If you don't, it's, you should try it sometime. It's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, let's just shift our attitude. Think about the small ways that we take the time to recycle the plastic bottle or maybe consider trying to reduce our carbon footprint. These small things are acts of worship because God has created us to be stewards of his earth. So for tonight, we're just going to take about four minutes to pray. Maybe you're really struggling with trying to embrace this role of stewardship and you need a change of heart. Maybe you feel helpless and overwhelmed to actually make a difference. And maybe you have stewarded the earth really well. And congratulations, good job. Um, And maybe you just want to thank God for trusting you with that role. So, in closing, before I pray, let's seek to give our world a picture of true leadership, of a sacrificial, loving king whose desire is to bring life to the world and not destruction. If you have any questions, I'll be in the back, hopefully with some other people, um, for a discussion. They'll start a few minutes after the service, so feel free to come, dialogue, say hi. We'll just be right up there. And yeah, we're going to spend about four minutes just reflecting on what we've heard, what the Lord might be saying to us, and praying for his help. There's some questions on the screen in case you need ideas. And I'm going to pray. Dear Jesus, thank you that you are a sacrificial king who was willing to come down to earth and serve your people in the most profound way ever by suffering and dying on a cross, by rising again, and by ushering us all into eternal life, by calling us to this beautiful, wonderful, full life in you, Lord. I thank you for all that you've created, all the majestic things, all the sunsets, the mountains, the moss. Lord, I thank you for all of it. And I pray that we would just have the utmost reverence for it because that your hand is in it all. Pray that you would just guide our thoughts during this time. Amen.